We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. And good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Connection. I'm one of your hosts, Ann Baldwin. And I am Lisa DeMattis-Lapore. You know, I got to share a funny story with you. So against my will, I agreed to have a tag sale, a damn tag <laughs> sale, right? So I'm trying to pull crap from every corner of the house and, you know, because my my Polish boyfriend thinks that, you know, having a tag sale is a good idea. I'm like, all right, I'll do it. So anyway, I'm putting out all this stuff on Friday. The tag sale's not until Saturday. No damn early birds, right? Right. When I mean early birds, I mean like 7 o'clock when the thing starts at 10. No, they're coming on Friday when it starts on Saturday. So this poor guy comes wobbling up the driveway and he goes, are you Ann? And I go, yes. I go, but, you know, this really doesn't start till tomorrow. He goes, I listen to your show with Lisa every Sunday morning. <laughs> Do we know his name? <laughs> Hank. 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 Hi, Hank. Hank. So he's one of our one of our loyal listeners. And I said, Hank, what do you want? Just take whatever you want. You get the pick of the junk right now because you listen to our show. So people are listening and it's That's so great so to hear. great. Yes. I love that story. Yeah. You know, I always worry when someone says, are you Ann Baldwin? I'm like, oh. What did I do now? <laughs> that's a great that's a great story. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to start with that. So we do appreciate everybody who listens to this program on Sunday mornings. And we've got a great guest with us today. I'm yes, so excited. So, so much to talk about. So why don't you go ahead and introduce her? Well, I'm uh, very excited to introduce our guest speaker today, who's Dr. Maurer and um, Kathleen Maurer. And she's a medical director at, at Department of Correction. And... I'm going to welcome her and have our listeners listen to her pretty extensive history and background. So welcome, Dr. Maurer. Thanks for being here. So, wow, what a big job. I can't believe that. Medical Director for the Department of Corrections in Connecticut. That's a big job. So how'd you get such a big job? Um uh, you know, my first question for you is, can I bring some stuff to your tag t- sale? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and the answer to that question is, um, you know, it's a real challenge, and it's something that somebody like me, who really is committed to caring for patients, would um, kind of like uh, really be eager to do. And I was, I applied and was accepted. So what is your background? Medical doctor, did you practice in other places prior to this? So I'm a medical director. I went to medical school. I mean, a medical doctor, a physician. I went to medical school at Yale. I trained in internal medicine in Texas at the University of Texas Southwestern, which is the Parkland program. Um, I was, uh, came back to Connecticut as a fellow in occupational environmental medicine. I worked uh, as really in patient care and at Yale for a while in that field. And then I have been a medical director for two different large corporations in this state. And then, 
was lucky enough to get a job at Correctional Managed Healthcare, where I worked for one year, who are the vendors for us in department of, the Department of Correction for Care. And then uh, and the job opened up in the Department of Correction, and I applied. So I'm the medical director and the director of health and addiction services there. And I am boarded in three fields, internal medicine, occupational and environmental medicine, and addiction medicine. And I have an MD degree, an MPH degree, and an MBA degree. So. That's all. That's pretty much That's it. That's it. That's all you've done in your. It's all in you've done in your 150 years. <laughs> That's pretty much it. You really should. I mean, how lucky is the Department of Correction to have you? Extremely. And we've got so much to talk about today. And this is this is a subject that is you know very close to this program and very close to my heart. And that is addiction. You know, being an alcoholic in recovery myself and going on eight years, which I'm so blessed to be able to say today. Um, you know, you talk about Department of Correction and you talk about really that's where a lot of people with substance abuse and alcoholism, that's where they end up. So I wanted to ask you first, Dr. Maurer, for our listeners, what is your definition of addiction? So there are a lot of definitions, but all of them have a few key components. One is that d- addiction is, not, is known to be a disease. It's a chronic disease. So it's like diabetes, it's like hypertension, it's a disease of the brain. The third thing is it's relapsing. So people with addiction tend to relapse. I don't cure your addiction. I treat you, I support you, I provide ongoing medical care, but I don't cure your addiction. And furthermore, addiction is characterized by compulsive behavior. People make decisions that have are really not in their best interest when they're addicted and that's one of the characteristics of addiction ad, an addiction driven behavior i just got to tell you lisa right off the bat to hear dr mauer say that it's a disease of the brain i i feel so many people are in denial and don't won't come out and say that they won't admit that it's di- a disease and that it's like diabetes or it's like a heart condition it do, you don't just treat it and it goes exactly. away it's this lingering thing that's in your body and in your being for the rest of your life whether you life want to long. admit it or not right absolutely it really really is and um I think it's really poignant um, to really talk about what it means because I think there's a lot of misnomers um, about addiction and you know really the road and what it means for the, really the rest of your life and it's I think it's hard for folks who don't understand addiction to always compare it well if it's like diabetes why can't you just take you know insulin and you're and you're good to go well it's a little bit more complicated than that so let me ask you if you have diabetes and you come to our system Do you think we stop giving you insulin or do you think we continue it? Continue. We continue it because you and I and everybody in the community recognizes that diabetes is a disease. Correct. It's a chronic disease and it needs ongoing lifelong treatment. Correct. So that's not really what we do with addiction. If you come into my system, except in a couple places where we have established, I think, I'm really proud of some of our programs for methadone, but in many places across the country, as well as in some of our Mm -hmm. jails, for example, when you come in, if you come in on methadone, we take you off. Oh, my goodness. Do we take you off your insulin for diabetes? No. You know, it's so for me, I'm just a simple doctor, right? Mm -hmm. For me, it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So anyway. 
Well, and you bring up a really good point because I know that you were one of the presenters, and if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Dr. Kathleen Maurer, the medical director for Department of Correction. You presented at the Connections Conference recently, and I was going through some of your PowerPoint presentation and some of the um, statistics and the research that you've done, and one of the things I couldn't believe, I'm going to ask Lisa to guess. Guess what percentage of folks in the prison population in Connecticut have a substance disorder that requires treatment to come into the prison system. Guess what the percentage is? I'm going to say it's high. You're right. It's high. Oh, that's How's a that? that's a very safe guess. It's high. It's 70 to 80 percent. Mm, that's that doesn't surprise me though. Wow. Because and by the way, can I just say thank you so much for inviting me to speak at Connection? I was very honored to be speaking there. Well, it was our honor, and I must say that it was compelling, and I did um, sit and listen to you both days because I thought that it was such an amazing presentation, and you really impacted the staff in a way that they could connect the work um, to you know what your belief system is and the way you present it. And so you're very welcome, and I'm really honored to... Um, have this opportunity to you know work with you and I also I have uh, attended other um, trainings with Dr. Maurer so she's really like the know-it-all in the sense of she has passion mm -hmm. and she can relate to the work that folks like myself and my organization do in a way that really translates because she understands it right you have an impact you know the other I want to back you up just a second if I can Dr. Maurer so you said if you have diabetes and you come into the correction system, do we take your medicine away? The answer is no. You said if you come into, you have an addiction, you come in on methadone, we take your methadone away. It doesn't sound like you agree with that. So not to be tough, but why are you doing it if you don't agree with it? So um, over the last couple of years, we have worked very hard to change that in our system. And actually, I think we have five sites now we have two programs that run every day. People coming in on methadone are provided with methadone when they come in. That's Bridgeport and New Haven jails, right? Every day. So 365 days a year we treat people there. We treat 30 every day at Bridgeport and 35 every day at New Haven. We're starting a program, expanding actually. We have a program for pregnant women and other women in our York facility and we're expanding that program. Um, within the next month or six weeks. We are building a program at Hartford. We've really started that program already. And we have a program that we're starting, a methadone program. Actually, it's MAT, so it's broader than just methadone. It's some of the other medicines, so extended release naltrexone, which is called Vivitrol, and buprenorphine, mm -hmm. which is combined with naloxone, which is called Suboxone or um, Bunavale. There's some other names. But we are building a program at Osborne, which is one of our prisons, which is a first for us, um, for pre-release people coming who have substance use disorders, opioid use disorders specifically in this case, or alcohol as well, and who are coming out from our prison. So um, I think it's fair to criticize us. I think that's a very reasonable thing. In I wasn't criticizing. I was well, just I was asking the tough question yeah. because you said, would we do this? No, but we do it. Yeah. But, but what, I, what I hear now is that you know that something has to change, and you're changing it. Yeah, we're we're working on it. It it's it's doesn't happen overnight. Exactly. It's criminal justice. Mm. Um, but you know what? When you, you know, when you really care about something, and look, I am just a simple doctor. I was trained to care for patients, right? And I can see that my patients would do better 
right. if we had these kinds of programs. So sure. step by step, little by little, we are my my plan is to have a system-wide MAT program. And what does MAT stand for? It the the words themselves are medication assisted treatment and that term has been used to describe the treatment for opioid use disorders that adds medications like methadone, like naloxone, buprenorphine combination, like Vivitrol or extended release naltrexone. That, that concept is that you treat opioid use disorder with medicine as well as psychosocial exactly. interventions. So we, we, a lot of times we think that opioid use disorder can be treated with counseling only and no. willpower and all this kind of stuff. So if you start on day one and look a year hence, and you look at uh, the patients that have been treated using, quote, the abstinence model, by the end of the year, you'll have one out of 10 that make it still abstinent, mm -hmm. and nine out of 10 who are not, and some of those are going to have died of an overdose. You know, it's interesting you say that. I, I flash back when you just said that, Dr. Maurer, to my rehab facility in beautiful Salt Lake City. At least they told me it was beautiful, but I was <laughs> locked in this place, so I have no idea. I could see out a window every now and then. But we sat around this group in, in group therapy. There were 35 of us, and we're all sitting there. We're in the midst of, our, you know, everybody's at various levels of the program. And the counselor said, you know, in this whole room, look, look around, only one of you is going to make it a year. And I thought, damn it. You know, and of course, everybody takes their pinner, finger and points it at their chest like it's going to be me. It's going to be me. But those statistics are real. And as I check back in with a lot of those folks that I was there with, I mean, some of them have passed away. Almost all of them have relapsed. So, you know, I, I believe those statistics. So tell me a little bit then, how, Lisa, are you at the Connection working with the Department of Correction? You talked about you have to treat the whole person. True. You've got to treat the sign, you know, the whole individual. You know, maybe there's medication involved and there's counseling involved. So talk about that. It really is a combo between both, both things. I think clients are more successful. I know they are because... The women's program that, and I know Dr. Mario and I talked about this briefly, that when we opened our first women and children's program um, at that time, the women, you know, were pregnant, postpartum, et cetera, and, you know, many of them were, you know, addicted to heroin, et cetera, and, um, you know, they some there were some that got off of methadone after the, their, the baby, their babies were born, and I, I'm happy, I'm not happy, I can say 150% that those women that were taken off that methadone relapsed. Why? Because they had trauma and all these other issues that they were dealing with. And as soon as that methadone was taken away, it was, it was very sad. So I, be, I was very naive when I started working in this field and looking at medicated assisted treatment and you know the, the pros and cons, clean is clean, what does clean mean? But here's the reality, I've met many people in my life that work in the field, that are colleagues of mine, that are on methadone, and you would never, meaning, because there's all these labels, what does it mean, right. what you're looked at, successful, on, a, on, a, on a, a dose of methadone that they're not nodding out and they're not out of it, they're able to function through life 
and it gets them through the day and but it's more than that it's also the counseling and the therapy and all those things that go hand in hand so I have seen it and that's why I'm um, really supportive of it so I'm going to ask a question for you Dr. Maurer and and more importantly for our listeners you know even though I went through um, detox and recovery for alcohol I don't understand fully how the methadone works so can you explain to that so if you're on an opioid or if you're a heroin user you go on methadone and it's a replacement for that or how does that how does that keep somebody clean because Lisa just talked about there's people out there living successful lives that are still on methadone Um, I don't know many people out there living successful lives that are still drinking all day long so what's the difference so um Methadone is something that's, it's called an opioid agonist, a full agonist. The neurons talk to one another with um, neurotransmitters and which have molecules that lock into receptors, right? Heroin locks into your own endogenous opioid receptors. After one use sometimes, right? Well, this is, uh, yes, yeah. I mean, not not often, but yes, one. So you have endogenous opioid receptors in your brain, things that your own endogenous endogenous opioids um, latch into or lock into to make you feel good. They're related to reward and satisfaction and all that kind of stuff. Heroin likes those receptors too, and heroin locks into those receptors but but makes the cells have an over-indulgent response, basically. And over time, those receptors and the neurotransmitters get depleted in the brain, and the neurons start w- stop working properly. So if you look at a brain of somebody who is an opioid user, it does not metabolize normally. It does not work. The transmitters don't work properly. The reward centers do not act normally and and that and the reason that methadone is works is because methadone fits into those receptors just like the heroin does Mm. but it has a very long half-life so with heroin every four to six hours you're looking for your new a new fix methadone doesn't do that it stabilizes your life it stabilizes your day it it's a once a day dosed medicine and so you don't have the the highs and lows, highs and lows, and highs and lows. And and that's why methadone works. It takes away cravings, and it also inhibits withdrawal. Does it? Do you have to take it forever? So that's a very good question. Um, there's no, oh, you have to take it this long. There's no recommended period of time. It's all clinically driven. It all depends on the patient. Mm-hmm. And I think most of us would, would hope that most patients don't have to take it forever. But I do know some patients that have very who who have been on methadone for a long time and when they try to get off they start developing cravings again and and are at high risk for relapse you know it's interesting that you mentioned that because when i got back out of rehab i took antibuse mm-hmm. so i was on antibuse and antibuse is kind of one of those things where they tell you if you take that every morning and you drink on it you are going to get violently ill so my father would come over to my house every morning and he worked in corrections. So he had to make sure I wasn't cheeking it or tonguing it, right? I had to like open my mouth and stick my tongue out. I laugh now, but you know, thank God that he did do that. So, and then he would give me my car keys and I could go to work. So you say, how long does someone need to do that? I did that for a year. I did that for a year. And then I told myself I'm good, you know, and kept working the program and, and, and stayed, on, stayed on the path. So I, I think that's good that we're talking about individualized treatment too. 
and we're talking about medication assisted treatment because if you're out there and you haven't suffered an addiction or you're wondering why people can't just stop it's not that easy it's not so what kind of strides are you making at department of correction and what does the future look like i mean especially with someone like you behind you know this program and your understanding and, and your passion and your compassion for this i mean what a great opportunity to to move this all forward yeah um at, at the state level we're we're building out these programs in our jails so that we'll be treating people coming in with methadone we're building out programs. So, so what does the literature show in corrections when it comes to MAT and opioid use? What it shows is that, number one, you need to maintain people when they come in. So we have a lot of people who get into our jails who never get in, never go to prison. Right there, they're, they come in the jails, they have minor cases, they, they get adjudicated after a month or two or whatever, and then they're out, they're returned to the community. Those people, it's really critical f to maintain them on methadone. If you don't, if you take them off, when they get back to the community, there's a very, very high risk that they will not return to a community provider, and there's data that shows that. The other part of this, the, the challenge is that people who come in to our system who are on methadone and might get a five-year prison term, Abstinence does not equal, or forced abstinence does not equal treatment. So they might come into our system and not have access to opioids for five years, but they get out into the community and then the queuing behavior happens and the, the relapse. Triggers, yeah. uh, exactly, and the relapse happens. So that group needs to have a full psycho psychosocial assessment, and those who are at risk for opioid use in the community need to be really educated and offered an, a, a medication-assisted treatment for them in the community. I can see somebody right now sitting at their breakfast table slamming their fist on their kitchen table saying, why in the hell should we make more of an investment in these people? Why should we pay for them to have the counseling, to have the assessments, to have the resources, to what's in it for society? What's in it for the taxpayer? So, um, you know, our patients come from your communities. Our Not mine. Oh, no, yes, I'm they do. <laughs> yes, kidding. they do. And most 95% of our patients will come back to the community. Mm -hmm. Our patients are people's mothers, their That's fathers, right. their brothers, their sisters. They, they, they are people who have a medical illness, right? A disease. That's right. We, we don't, we don't treat diseases, any other disease like this. You're absolutely right. So there's all kinds of rationale. And besides that, they're human beings. They heal. You know what? My goal is to have every one of my patients become a, a, a successful community member who's paying taxes. And productive, yeah. Exactly. exactly. And can you speak about the histories of a lot of the of clients that you see? Yeah, so um, there's a couple things that bother me. Yeah. One is that we put a lot of people in jail and prison because they are sick. Because they are sick. Mm -hmm. Many, this is why we created this diversion program in Bridgeport, because if you look at, the, there, there's a whole bunch of people coming into our system because of substance use disorders, nonviolent crimes, minor crimes. Right. But they, we bring them into jail, we take them out of the community, we tear them apart from their family. Many of them have jobs, 
no more job once they're with us. Correct. So we really disrupt their lives. So, so from that perspective, now, wh- why would we be doing this? They need to be treated in the community. They need to be directed out of prison or jail right. and into the community. So that kind of program, I think, is essential. You know, prison and jail is ne- are needed, but not for these low-level, nonviolent substance use disorder-related crimes. So that's one thing. The other issue um, is that, so if you look at, we have a reentry program because this is kind of an interesting issue. We have a reentry program called Living Free. And it's run out of, um, we have two sites now, one in New Britain, one in uh, New Haven at a clinic called the Ford Clinic down there. Dr. McKee and Dr. Oberleitner run this program. It turns out that th- this is a program for people with moderate to severe substance use on reentry, mm-hmm. and we have a model that I think is going to be a national standard for the reentry uh, for people with moderate to severe substance use. These folks, like 89% of them, have I- been in prison more than one time, and like 39 have been more than 15 times. Wow. Right. So, so as a taxpayer, even if you don't care about human beings, even if you don't care about you know, the intrinsic mm-hmm. worth and value of, of an individual to society and to their families and so forth, then think about the money, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, there's a huge amount of money spent by the criminal justice system in ways that purely serve to lock people up rather than provide long-term treatment. Absolutely. And that is where, too, like services fr- with your reentry program at The Connection, Helping people find a job when you Google them and find out they have been in jail, that they have a record. You know, helping people get back on their feet and, and to give them a shot and give them a chance because a lot of people won't do that, but Lisa, you see this every day. We do. And you've seen, For you've years. been at The Connection long enough and now as CEO to see the success stories and meet the kids of the kids of the kids. It's that amazing. It really, it's so rewarding. I, I, there aren't, there really are no words to describe that. In fact, um, you know, I was um, recently at one of the first programs that we opened at The Connection and brought back a lot of really great memories. And, you know, it's a program for women and children and, you know, hearing the stories and they're just, you know, over and over, you know, the same issues with trauma and abuse and domestic violence. And th- these women were from all walks of life, everything, a- absolutely the entire gamut. And to see them collectively support each other and talk to each other, you know, it was is amazing to me. And it brought back really why we, you know, we need programs and why we need treatment. But really just the sadness of um, addiction and what it does. But again, no one, you know, like they, they said to me, I had a group, they didn't sign up for this. You know, they didn't. Their stories are horrific. You wonder how they're alive. I mean, right. what, do, what do you do if you live in a house where there's abuse and other things going on and you feel like you're alone and you have nothing to turn to? Did they choose that? And I think that's another thing people don't always understand what drives people to these types of issues. You know, Dr. Uh, Maurer, we're speaking with Dr. Kathleen Maurer, Medical Director for the Department of Correction. We've got about a minute left. So let's let's, um, assume, probably safely, that someone out there listening to this program has someone with a substance abuse problem in who's incarcerated. What can we do from the outside to be proactive about our loved ones on the inside and get them the treatment and the help that they need, or do we assume that's happening? Actually, the best thing you can do is to send me an email or call me and let me know. Really? You want to give out your email address on this radio program? (laughs) 
can I say? Okay. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. What is it? My email address is Kathleen, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N dot Maurer, M-A-U-R-E-R, at ct.gov. We, of course, we have uh, addiction services in our facilities, but if, you know, and we do comprehensive psychosocial assessments and we treat people. We have tier four programs, which are therapeutic communities. We have a lot of different substance use treatment programs, much more effective for people who are in prison, who are there for a while than in the jails, just because of staffing issues. But the, the, if, if you have a family member who's in the facility and who needs help, let me know. Wow. Who's, who does that, Lisa? Who gives out their email on a radio program? But that's, see, that's my point about Dr. Maurer. She, she really has a lot of passion for the work that she does and believes in, you know, specific type of treatment, and she, that's why she's a role model for all of us. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Maurer. We really appreciate I could talk to you all day long. This was fantastic. And thank you, Lisa. And thanks thank to you. our listeners. And uh, we appreciate you tuning in to this edition of The Connection on WTIC News Talk 1080. new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.